Hello, everybody, and welcome to the On the Farm Pitcher List podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. Uh, today, Rick and I have an awesome show planned out for you guys. We're joined by Drew Martinez. He is the uh, manager of one of the Dominican Summer League affiliate teams for the San Francisco Giants, uh, and he was also this year a coach for the Scottsdale Scorpions in the Arizona Fall League. So we're going to be able to talk to him about, you know, really kind of all things Dominican Summer League and kind of like player development and because it's, you know, one of those leagues that we don't get a ton of information on. Uh, you know, obviously it's like in another country and, and everything, and it's like kind of like the first step. And so it's it's really just a great opportunity to, to learn more about about the league and the players. So, Drew, thank you so much for, for joining the show. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Excited to be here. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Rick, how are you doing today, man? This is this is exciting, isn't it? Oh, I'm extremely excited, man. As somebody who watches a ton of prospects, writes up reports on the daily <laughs> or multiple mm-hmm. times a day, uh, this is like a dream come true. Talking to somebody who is in the sport doing this, and especially with a league, like you said, Jake, that we get some information, but we don't get the full picture and it's it's awesome to be able to talk one-on-one with uh drew so i'm really excited about this yeah rick uh drew drew Drew, just for your context rick is our deep league our deep prospects guy like he he knows a ton about the rookie leagues i do not have the patience i think or the time (laughs) to really get deep into like the depths of the internet in that sense Mm -hmm. uh but no rick has like his own like top 1500 prospects list like he's like really deep into it so um that you know we got we got some good questions here, and uh, before we really get into like the the nitty gritty of like the DSL and everything like that, I just want to like you know know more like kind of introduce the listeners a bit more to you, Drew, and kind of hear more about like you know your background uh, in in baseball in general and coaching. So just like uh, to start, you know, like yeah, how did you get how did you start in baseball? Like how you know how did your fandom start? Kind of like what's the story there? Uh, well, the biggest thing is, is like I grew up around it. Dad having played in the big leagues with the Baltimore Orioles, my brother and I had really grown up around the game, and so it wasn't something where my dad pushed us to play. He wanted to play multiple sports, but for us, it was more: can we do we like do we like it or do we love it? The biggest thing is for us as we continue to grow. Um, you know, he had all the baseballs, all the bats, all that stuff, so we'd always play with them. So as we continue to get older and older, it just started to become more of a love. And then we were about nine or 10, he opened a uh, baseball facility. So not only were we around all the time, now we had a baseball facility. Um, and then we were there all the time. So as we continued to grow, it just only, the love for the game only became stronger. And then us going to the facility every day, it gave us somewhere to go, kept us out of trouble. Allow us to run around. Plus, all their buddies would go there. So now we're playing with our friends, playing baseball all the time in our neighborhood. We had a bunch of kids that play, you know, tennis, baseball, or you play with a tennis racket and a, ten- a tennis ball in a cove. And we always were playing baseball somewhere, or like a little bean bag, or a little hacky sack bag, and then those little tiny bats they gave you. Yeah, that and the, and the game rooms, and so we were always playing. Um, I think just more being around the game. The com- camaraderie you you know you have with your friends and you know talking and having a good time wearing them out because because you beat them and I think that's kind of where the element of like I like I love this game and then it wasn't until you got you know older where the difficulty really came in and I think for me that side of it really kind of 
made it a little more challenging, but a lot more fun for me at least. Yeah, absolutely. Did you, um, like what, how did your like playing career happen? Like, did you play like through high school? Did you play any college ball? Any, like, what was, what was that like? So, uh, I played like competitively, uh, just a little small team out here in Carnival. Um, I didn't go to a uh, Christian Brothers High School in Memphis, really big baseball school, a bunch of professional athletes played out of there. Tim McCarver went there. Logan Forsyth went there. He was on my team my freshman year. He was our senior. His little brother, Blake, went to Tennessee, drafted in third round, won a gold glove, you know, and the list goes on. We had, I think for my freshman year high school team, I think eight or nine guys all go play collegiately. And I think eight of them or seven of them went to play Division One level. Um, and most of them played professionally as well in some sort of another um, with mm-hmm. Logan Forsyth making the big leagues, Philip Irwin making the big leagues, Matt Packer going to Virginia, then to AAA for forever. Um, and, and so it was just all the way through going there, then went to the University of Memphis. Um, you know, it was fortunate playing the Valley League, great league, then playing the Cape my sophomore year, a ton of fun. Loved that experience, and then got drafted my sophomore year by the Met, turned it down, came back. Junior year by the Angels, played there. Uh, the 10th round, I got drafted by them. Played two years uh, in the 13, got released, played indie ball, and I went to Gary for two years, about two and a half, and then played with the Laredo Lemurs, who are now no longer in the American Association. Played with them for two years. And then after that, that's when I kind of flipped over to coaching. Okay. So then why, like, what, what drew you to coaching? Was it kind of like natural since you were kind of raised in like that environment with, with your, with your dad kind of opened up a shop and was that, was that just like the next logical step for you? You know, what, what drew you to that? I think uh, I, I talked to some people who had retired and stopped playing. The biggest thing they kept talking about is like, year or two later they get back to the game some sort some sort of way they missed it they wanted to be around it so for me i happened to be finishing my my degree at university of memphis and then the volunteer assistant coach left and he was like and he was or the fourth coach left and he was like hey our head coach i played for him asked if i wanted to be interested in and in taking that position but i would have to be basically done with baseball and i told him yeah right away and I think for me, it kept me in the game. And I knew when that opportunity popped up, for me at least, I knew how I would feel if I left the game. I would want to be back in some way, somehow. And this kept my mind going to the game. It also kept me involved with the players, involved in it somehow. And I wasn't sure what direction I wanted to go, but I knew I wanted to be in it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's, I feel like it's it's definitely hard to leave, you know, even for like I was not good enough to play any level beyond high school. But like I still have I've always needed to do something with it, whether I'm writing about it, podcasting about it. Like and I feel like it's the way a lot of people like feel who really kind of grew up with it and have those connections mm-hmm. early on. So that's awesome. That you've been able to you know make a career out of it. And, you know, I also want to know, like how you got even like to this point from, you know, Memphis, like how how did you kind of. How'd your career progress in that sense to get to, to where you are now with the, in the Giants work? So I've stayed in Memphis for a year. I actually was a head coach in a summer league in the Ohio Valley League that summer. Uh, so the head coach's son had actually got a job at Southwest, who I played with in college, at Southwest and Juco in Memphis. And so I joined on with him 
as a recruiting coordinator and the hitting coach. Did that for two years, but while I was doing that, I was in, because of the way in, uh, Juco ball, the season ends, the indie ball starts up like right after. So it's in that little right. sweet spot area. So I would jump to indie ball and their manager at the time, Dennis Pelfrey, I had played for him and Gary. So I knew him, had a relationship with him. He actually offered me the job in 18 and I basically said, yeah, I'm in. So I was there. So basically 18 and 19. I was in JUCO up until, I don't know, May, and then I'd go to any ball. And I'd go right back from any ball to JUCO. And basically, it was just a constant 365 all the time baseball. In 2020, I got, I got uh, signed on my Tigers, and I was going to Norwich as a fundamental coach or development coach. Obviously, we all know what happened in 2020. Came in a year, Norwich got let go. Me being a part of the Norwich staff, the new guy, I knew what was going to happen. Yeah. And then not in the next year, I went back to Florence as a hitting coach. Went back there year after that. Uh, was interested, had some, had some managing um, opportunities. I interviewed, uh, interviewed with a few managing spots in any ball. And then one thing led to another. The Giants called and said, hey, we, we need a manager in the Dominican. Are you interested? I said, yeah. And here I am. There you go. So, Drew, I have a, a couple questions for you. I know uh, previously you talked about how you went to the uh, Cape Cod League and played during that time, and you said you had some great memories from that. Can you tell me a little bit about how that was, you know, in, in your playing days of, of going to the Cape Cod League, being able to play through there? Because for those who are listening, you know, the Cape Cod League is a great league for you know, college talent to be able to kind of get some more reps in uh, prior to and 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 post the uh, season. So how was that, Drew, for you being able to work into that? And like you said, with those great experiences, you know, how did that how did that shape you going forward? Uh, for me, it was it was huge, it, a huge confidence booster because you're playing against, you know, kind of like when the Arizona Fall League is the Cape yeah. Cod League is considered, you know, the cream of the crop, the best players, you know, and it went, and it's the same same way as in you know the fall league where they might be all over the world, but there they can be from junior colleges, they can be from D twos, D threes, or most likely for the most part Division ones, but you will have those guys that you know small or, or NAA guys or like small school mid majors where that kind of need to make the name for themselves, and to me. That's kind of what it did. It showed me because, you know, you look at people that were in the league, uh, Marcus Stroman, Colton Wong, you know, all these guys, Tommy Conley, he was on my team. Like all yeah. these guys who are in the league now. And it's like, it, it's try, you, you kind of see the talent level and you see the, the, when I, I think I went back and looked at it one day board, just kind of seeing who made the big leagues from, you know, that whole league. And I think our team had the most players that made the big leagues. And we were in the first place. I think one at one point we were like twenty two and zero or twenty two and one. We were extremely talented. Had a bunch of talented pitchers, and then they all started going. Like Anthony Renato got his big signing bonus. We had a couple of guys. You know they threw really well, and then they got shut down. Um, and then we got knocked out in the semis. But it was an amazing experience. I got to experience the All Star Game at Fenway. That was an amazing experience as well. Um, and then as well as, you know, doing little things, 
uh, just experiencing the Cape, going around it, playing at different fields, uh, seeing the talent that was there. You know, it, it's wild to think where that was, who was in that league. Because every year they say, you know, a lot of these players are going to be drafted and a lot of them make the big leagues. And they're right, they do. It's a prestigious league for a reason. Got the name for a reason. Funky fields, but, you know, <laughs> that's what makes it fun, I guess. And you get to playing surfaces. Uh, you know, we have one that was like almost a gravel, almost like a, it looked like, it looked like a gravel rock field. It was yeah. really weird. Um, I, I think it was Contuit or yeah, something that like that. Yeah, sounds right. It, 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 really weird gravel, like, it almost like you're sliding on rocks. <laughs> but it didn't hurt. Yeah, I thought the same thing. It didn't hurt it. <laughs> And, and it's like a it's like a grayish kind of like charcoal grayish around the field rather than that that traditional brown or or clay yeah. color. So 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 Drew second second part of this question that I do want to ask you because I thought it was very interesting whenever you said that you got on with uh, you know coaching uh, JUCO uh, so junior college for those who are listening um, you know the there is a lot of prospects that are drafted you know, in these, in these drafts, uh, Jackson Rutledge was one that just immediately came to mind. That was a Juco mm -hmm. arm drafted by the nationals, uh, in the first round back in 2019, there's been so many others with you coaching in the Juco level and seeing a lot of the other Juco talent, uh, talent that was around there. What was your, what was your thoughts whenever you were coaching that, that level, um, and the talent that was around there, because, you know, that is a, a great springboard, not only for the draft, but also for being able to get on with other, uh, you know, top ranked universities to be able to get in there for their final season before they make a, a jump towards the major league draft. I think the biggest thing for junior college baseball, people need to understand it is, and I tell players this all the time, still to this day, you know, JUCO is, it used to, people used to have a bad, or they used to consider JUCO not experienced, you're not talented, or you're not good enough. Where right. and it's completely false. To me, junior college, you know, when we know how development works, it takes time. And some people just develop later than others. So having that chance to go to a junior college and, and develop first off is huge. But also it's like it's better than going to at times going to a division one for the name and then sitting and then just being there and missing a year when you could be playing in those at bats. For the junior college to see some of the talent that was that was there with Walter State, that was in their division, their top five every year. You look at who they had on their roster that year, it's the most impressive roster I've ever seen in a junior college. And they were like they they got runner up that year. And their middle infield was going to TCU. Their third baseman was going to Tennessee. Their first baseman was a dual guy. He was a Friday guy and a first baseman. I think he won player of the year that year. And he went to like, I think he went to ETSU. Center fielder went to North Carolina, left fielder Alabama, who's now playing. I think he, he's on the verge of big leagues. Right fielder went to Memphis. Catcher, I think, went to another SEC school. And then every single arm they had was South Carolina, Tennessee. I mean, they were all going somewhere. And, and yeah. multiple schools were like this. Dyersburg State was like that. You know, um, and just seeing the amount of talent pool that's there and, and, and having the coaches reach out to you and asking you questions. And the coaches I was there with was, you know, Eric Schoenrock, uh, dad, Darren Schoenrock, who's a college division one coach for 
35 plus years. And mm-hmm. Eric also played professionally. Our other pitching coach was drafted uh, 10th round of high school, was the upper 90s guy with the Yankees. Um, and then we had a guy, Brian Huber, who had played junior college ball, had opportunities to be professionally, didn't, didn't do it. So we were young coaches and in a world where it's a lot of, it's for a lot of energetic kids that needed obviously opportunity, but also to believe in like kind of what they were doing. To me, they saw it. We got all got our eyes opened a little bit, seeing the amount of players and talent we, you know, playing, uh, LSU, uh, uh LSU Eunice. That's cool. I mean, unbelievable. You would, it was shocking how talented they were. And they won the national championship that year. Played them. It was just like every guy, 95, 96. But, and you're thinking like, <laughs> how's this guy not a division one guy? Well, he went one, got hurt, came here, and then mm-hmm. he's going back. Like the talent level is incredible. Their values. Yeah. I think, I think of the Dominican summer league a lot, like a junior college baseball. It is like that in the sense of you get a lot of talent that understands the game, but doesn't understand the smaller details. And that 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 next step for them becomes so fast because players are better, players are stronger, players are faster, players go harder. You know, the game's a little different. You got bigger, stronger guys. Um, so I think it's I compare them a lot. Um, I hear one or two. I hear high school baseball to the Dominican Summer League, or I hear JUCO baseball to the Dominican Summer League. And I hear those, I hear those, you know, when I say high school baseball, I mean like varsity baseball. But yeah, not many, not many high school or varsity baseball teams have the arms you have in the ESL compared to junior college baseball, where you know, the arms in junior, junior college baseball now are upper 80s, low 90s. Right. No matter where, no matter where you look. That's the, that's the standard now. Yeah. The depth so of I think talent is just ridiculous. D- ridiculous. And the facilities, the facility we were at, we were at USA Park, which is the old Olympic baseball stadium in Millington, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So we had a state-of-the-art field with locker rooms, weight room, pra- our own practice field. Like, who's got their own practice field in junior college baseball? And yeah. it's, it's and to see what it's evolved to now still going around there it's unbelievable because now people are looking at going to junior college more now than ever because they want to get two years of development or a year of development and get drafted because they can yeah and it's a, it's a quicker quicker pathway to professional baseball so it's junior college balls it's the wild west but there's so much talent and such a such a uh it's it, yeah, it's just wildly talented, but there's a lack of fundamental that sometimes happens due to, you know, it's like when you give a 14-year-old a Corvette and tell him to, or you give a 14-year-old a, <laughs> a, a go-kart and tell him to pound the gas and see what happens. It's, you know, they're going to they're gonna enjoy the experience, enjoy the thrill, but they don't have to control it. It's very similar. Yeah. You know, you can, you can, he has all the tools, doesn't know how to control it. Right. Yeah. And you've just, you've spent so much time at these levels where like so much instrumental development happens, you know, um, and you've really kind of like been across the board at, at that kind of level. So like in general, like w- from what you've seen so far, what's been, you know, the most kind of rewarding part of your, you know, your coaching career? When I, when I see players that 
that move on to to a higher level um or, or get an opportunity that they normally mentally thought they weren't going to get where we have you know i bring a kid in and you know i tell him what i see for him but it's having him buy into it and then having a successful season behind it and going to a school where he doesn't didn't really see himself going um because he put in the work he put in the, the time the effort or you know same with like with me with the D dominican summer league like having a kid telling him hey you need to go home and work on this stuff in the off season him coming back being more physical faster stronger working harder like on following everything to a t and then being the person to be like hey you're going to the next level it's awesome it may it fires me up because it means the world for these kids and for me as a coach, you know, I'm a, I always say I'm an accessory to them. I'm not the reason they make it there. I'm not why they're going to make it there. My word isn't even why they're going to make it there. It's what that person sees. We can tell them all they want, but I'm an accessory. I'm here for them. I want to help them as much as possible. If I can put them in the best position possible, good. And that's my goal. Um, and so when I have a kid that moves up, it fires me up, makes me happy for them. But it also, it also is a really good example for other players. Like, hey, this, this can work. It gives them hope. It gives them, you know, a little bit of a direction. Like, hey, I want to do what that kid was doing because there's a reason he moved. You know, not just because he's now throwing 94. You know, not just now because he can hit the ball this much harder. Well, there's a process behind it. And, and there's, a, there's a time that it takes to get there. And having people like that having those examples it, it helps it's a huge joy for me and then you know seeing them continue that and i and i try to keep relationships i talk to players i'll reach out to guys randomly hey how you been hope, hope they're doing well have family just you know because i know they're going to be a lot of people but the I think the biggest thing for me is if i can reach out to them communicate say hey what's up real quick it's going to be great because not many coaches do that not many coaches want to do that they think once you're done last year i talked to them and I don't want to be that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what it's all about, you know, those those relationships in the game. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take a quick break here and then we'll come back and we'll get into get into some details about the DSL, kind of set the scene for kind of what the league's like in the day-to-day. -day. Uh, but we're, we'll be right back in just a minute. All right, and we're back and ready to get more in depth with the DSL. Um, you know, so like we said before, like there's just not a ton of information about uh, the DSL, and um, you know, this is just I think a great resource to kind of learn more about what these players' like lives are like. You know, how their training process goes, and uh, really just kind of get this firsthand experience from from someone who's on the ground. So, first, Drew, can you just like summarize you know what what the dsl is like what the purpose it serves and like the the organization um you know how it impacts player development uh from what it is it's it's latin american players or international players who are a going to the dominican republic who are in between usually the ages of 16 and 21 more towards the 17 mark when i say 16 it's like i think it's like 16 and like seven fifths or something like there's some rule of like how right. old it can genuinely be but it's typically it's 17 to 21 um you don't really ever see kids past 21 there 
but really it's their first taste of professional baseball. Um, and, and when you get them, it's more they're showcase ready. They they and that because that's how they got drafted or, or that's how, not drafted how they got signed. They're showcase ready, and so our job is you know when you get them to basically start to mold, start to teach them the fundamentals. They can do all the they can do the threat. They can they can hit the ball far. They can throw it hard. They can for them for the most part catch the baseball, or they can throw it to a base at ninety eight miles an hour. But right. can they set their feet? Can they feel the ball cleanly? Can they throw a strike? You know, can they make contact? Do they understand moving a runner? Like, so when you get them, they are very raw, very talented, but very raw. And so when they come in, it's, hey, these are our guidelines. These are our philosophies. This is what we, what we believe in. And, you know, and then we go into little groups of, you know, outfielders talk to the outfielders, infield coach talk to infield guys, pitchers talk to pitchers, and then we go over those small philosophies and start instilling it in their head, as well as for them, English class immediately. They go in and start learning English because at the end of the day, where are they going to? A country that speaks English. And whether it's, you know, people like it or not, it's the way it is. And coming over to a different country is polarizing. So having them as comfortable as possible and having American coaches there who do speak English, it helps them and not just understanding a lot, but also, you know, trying to slow the game down just enough for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's an interesting way to think of it. I hadn't thought about that. It's almost like, because we see guys come over from like, you know, the East Asian leagues, like from Japan and whatnot. And they're a little older, but it's still like an immediate like culture shock. You're immediately in the big leagues. You are like mm -hmm. dealing with everything on the fly. And these kids like, you know, rightfully so get that time to like really adjust and kind of like take this minute to like learn the language a little bit and, and get acclimated. So that's, that's a really cool thing, aspect of it. Um, and then what are like the, what are the playing environments like, you know, like what are these, you know, fields like, is it like really leaning towards like hitters or pitchers, like as far as like field, like even dimensions, anything like that? Are there like a ton of fans at the games? Like, what is that kind of like as for players? It depends, uh, field to field. You got our field where the wind tends to blow uh, more out. So our, our sense is a little more hitter friendly. And then you got like the nationals park it blows straight in from center. So it's a little more, it's a little more, it just depends, uh, park to park. The playing environments are awesome. I love the playing environments because, you know, you have all the, like all the extra players who come to the games. And so, you know, guys are playing music, people are, and there's not really fans. It's more just like other players, doubt, maybe some coordinators if they're in town, uh, or farm directors or whatever it might be. Um, and then, you know, the other team's players, and that's it. That's all you have. You might have 30, 35 people on a good day. But it's always, there's always music playing. There's always players talking, or players yelling, or players. So when guys hit home run, I mean, it's everybody goes nuts. When guys, you know, make great plays, everybody goes nuts. When guys make big pitches, because they understand the game. But it is yeah. an amazing environment. It is like if you, I always say, like if you want to see baseball, and they show it on TVs all the time. You know the Dominican Winter League and the, you know Venezuela Winter Leagues, and 
the Caribbean series and they show all that and it's electric. You know, yeah. it, it is that, but on a small scale, much smaller scale. And I think for me, it's, it's so, it, it's so much fun. They're all hitter friendly parks, our pitcher friendly parks. You know, the Phillies got a friendly pitcher friendly park just is what it is, you know? And, and, but it's just for the players. It's great because now you're getting an idea of as you continue to develop in advanced levels, you know, what different parks are going to do, how you play each park, you know, how the, how the ground plays, how the wind blows, how the fence plays. We're like us for the giants, you know, we have Oracle Park. People miss live balls all the time. There's a reason. The wind. Well, that right. starts on a, a young level. You should start developing that at a young level. And you get to you see, you know, people in the Dominican missing fly balls. It just is what it is. But you see people in the big league, people missing them too. So it doesn't matter how old you are, you still miss fly balls. If you don't practice it, if you don't get used to it. So we have days where, you know, we do that stuff. But, you know, for me. I thought I think the fields are getting better. They're getting nicer. Teams are throwing more money down there than people ever imagined. The Brewers got a brand new facility, beautiful. We got a brand new we got a brand new baseball field last year, basically turf. You know, everything you want, technology, padded walls. You know, it's becoming. You know, because realistically, the Dominicans where all that where all the towns at for the most part. Got the best. We've got a Agreed. lot of great talent, a lot of incredible athletes, and teams know that. There's a reason they're throwing the money they're throwing. The Rangers got a fairly new one. The Mar- uh, Marlins fairly new. Like I think last year was their first year. The Brewers are building one. I think the Tigers are apparently building a new one. The Orioles got a brand new one, beautiful. Like people don't understand that if they if they could see how these facilities look, they'd be utterly shocked. Because they would think it's, you know, a building with three fields and some locker rooms. And no, it's, our facility's beautiful. Beautiful, multiple cages, a beautiful background, uh, you know, dorm rooms. It's stunning. It's great. It really is. That's awesome. Is it like, See, are all these like facilities pretty close to each other? Is there like a specific area of the Dominican where everyone kind of is? Or is there any like travel across? It's it's an island, so there's only so far you can go. But like, how's um, kind of like traveling between them? Is it all kind of in the same area? Yeah, for the most part. Uh, I'm going to say everybody's in Boca Chica. You have some people that are kind of a little further outside. Uh, you know, the Brewers. You have the Braves that are in Guerra. It's a little bit of a drive. Um, the Tigers are right now. They're in... I don't want to say San Pedro because that could be wrong, but they're in San Pedro. But there's like a 40-ish minute drive. The Brewers used to be next to them, but they moved. They're closer. But everybody's within, a, I would say, a 30-minute range from us. The Padres are That's nice. on the the Padres are the by far the farthest, about an hour and a half, depending on traffic. But we've never played there. I've never actually played there in the two years I've been down. Yeah. So um, number one, awesome that they're investing because obviously this is a major lot of talent that's coming through there with you guys and coming up through your system as well so it's very important that they're investing and and clearly a lot of major league teams are doing so and Mm -hmm. rightfully so um one thing that i see a ton drew because i cover a lot of the low a and high a affiliates in the carolina region um I end up getting a chance to talk to a lot of these prospects one-on-one and kind of going back a little bit to what you were talking about with, you know, learning English and everything along that line. 
I talked with um, Albamelic Ortiz mm-hmm. uh, this past season with the uh, Rangers organization. And I was just so amazed, you know, being able to talk with him, you know, one-on-one, being able to break down some of the stuff that he's doing. And it, it's huge, especially as a fan of the game. You know, for me, I'm trying to get a little bit more in depth with some of these players, but even from the, the fan standpoint, you know, them coming through the minor leagues, being able to communicate with, you know, fans around, it is so key on top of being able to, you know, work with instruction from coaches and everything mm-hmm. along that line. I think that that's really huge that, you know, it starts from the ground up from where you guys are. And really what you guys do in, in the Dominican league is just absolutely amazing. On top of that, I, I watched so many of these, uh, video clips from, you know, uh, these fantastic plays. And to your point, usually in the background, you can hear some awesome music. You can usually hear everybody just going crazy over like a massive home run hit or, you know, a, a big play. And I think it's great to be able to have that culture down there and that and that sense of excitement right because Mm -hmm. it's exciting for for these guys i'm not going to say kids because they're they're grown men at this point you know Mm -hmm. and it's so exciting being able to see that it is it's wild to think like the way that their english has come uh and how it develops and you know for us we have a couple coaches down there who are american and probably the most out of any organization and for us, especially me being a manager, you know, I will say a decent amount in English, but I, I say a decent amount of Spanish as well. Like it has forced me to not only because I'm not fluent either, so it's forced me to work on my Spanish and continue to develop my Spanish. So for us, like for me, and the way I, the way I handle my team is one day I'll do like, I'll say the whole day and kind of what we're doing in, in Spanish. And then the next day I'll do it in English. And then I'll have a That's player true. translate. If, if, he, if he feels like he didn't understand it, I'll have a guy come up and translate. And then we have the next day where I'll pull a player up and I'll say it in Spanish and he says it in English. And so we're constantly doing, you know, little things that help them. But also it's become a point where the players now, it's like a, it's a, it's a bragging right. Who could say the most English? So they'll walk up to you and try to, you know, hey, how are you doing? How's your day? what are you doing later? Like they'll try to do little things to communicate. And that's the big, that's the first step is being confident enough to be willing to make that mistake. And yeah, it's not always perfect, but yeah, neither am I Spanish and they know what I'm saying. And I know what they're saying. So it's having that mutual respect of understanding what, it, what they're trying to do and trying to feed into it with them, ask them questions, say things in English have them get used to hearing it. So when they actually hear it for the first time, it's like when you hear Spanish for the first time, it's polarizing. It's very fast, especially in the Dominican. Same thing in, you know, whatever whatever part of the country you're in, you could be in the South, everything is kind of drawn out, or you could be up North where everything, people tend to talk faster, you know? And so right. it's for them, it's making them comfortable with where they're at, but not having them be, you know, wide-eyed, like, oh no. I'm in trouble when they go to the States. It's making them as comfortable as possible. The more comfortable we can make them feel, the better. And so I think it's become a bragging right now. Our teachers do an amazing job of having them understand English stuff. And us coaches, like I'll go sit in on English class and listen to them, hear them, hear what they're doing, hear what they're talking about. 
and it's like they had presentations last year in English and they had to give a presentation. So I went in and sat on it because to me, it's huge knowing that A, I care, but B, like, I want to be there to hear. They put in the work for it, so I'm going to be there for it. And I'll be there for them. And I think for them, it, it allows them to see like, hey, I care. I want to be there. I'm here for you. Good or bad, I don't care. Like, you're trying. And it's so hard to do. And I think that's right. something that people don't realize just having the, the fear, getting over the fear of trying to speak a second language. It's difficult. Yeah. Not everybody's from yeah. Curacao and speak five or six languages. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's one thing to like give them, you know, to sign them, give them the signing bonus and then mm -hmm. just kind of let them be on their way. Like, oh, you're going to go through the organization or you're not, whatever. But like actually showing them that like we are investing in you. We have these facilities. We have, we're mm -hmm. going to like help you learn English and everything like that. And like, we really want you to succeed. I mean, that's just got to be huge for, you know, just for them as people, you know, that's, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. it, it, um, is. it allows them conversation pieces as well. Yeah. They can go somewhere and actually understand something if someone says something to them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then on like the, in those kind of those, those practice days, those training days, um, what is that like, what does it look like for, um, like, what are the, what are they learning? Like, what does like training look like for them on the baseball side? For me, it's when they first come in, it's pretty, pretty simple. You keep it pretty standard. There's nothing that we teach them that's going to be completely outside the box. It's more, say for me, the outfielders. I take them to do little drills because, A, I don't know them very well. Unless I've had the player the year before, I don't know them. So I'm not going to tell, like, say I, if you were to come to me and you your footwork's off. Well, I'm not going to tell you to change your footwork because I don't know you yet. I have not built that relationship yet. I have not understood what you're trying to do because maybe you have a reason for doing it. So that's where the relationship and the communication part comes in. And watching them for a week, maybe two, and giving them little small nuggets here and there, but not because they all ask you every day, how do I look? How do I look? Buddy, I haven't, I don't know you yet. I'm still learning you. Like, let me give me a week or two and then we'll talk. For if so, for the infield or some outfield parts, I, I look at mainly footwork and when they and, and what their body is when they're coming through a ground ball or coming through a fly ball. I keep it there. That's it. As simple as that, from the start, for an infielder, they may, you know, they look at the feet and what the feet are doing, how do they move, what the hands are doing, you know, where they're catching it, what's their move after they catch it. Um, and then from, you know, catching standpoint, more of the, you know, A, blocking, recognize the shape pattern. Uh, and then, you know, from a glove standpoint, you know, probably some receiving, working on different shapes, um, different variances, you know, whether it's a sinker ball guy, whether it's a guy with some rise, you know, maybe a guy got a little sharper breaking ball, um, being able to, you know, work on essentially receiving because people seem to forget about that and it done the most out of anything you're going to do as a catcher, you know? So it's like, it's something where I think us, it's, it's taking the small details and allowing them to understand the smaller fine-tuned details. And yes, they're very boring. But there are a lot of times why you win and lose ball games. Something right. as simple as playing catch, controlling how they play catch. Like, it's why you lose ball games. The simple thing at catch, and how many times we see in baseball, big leagues or not, that don't play catch and they lose. And so, it's as not as an exciting answer as maybe one would one would hope, but 
it is exactly what they need because they work on moving so fast all the time. You're, you're, you need to force them to peel it back, slow it down, and control it at 75% or 60%, and then slowly ramp them back up. It's the hardest thing to do. When you tell a guy to go 75%, he'll come out and he'll throw it 100 immediately. You're like, no, 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 no. What are we doing here? Slow, like control. The word touch and feel, they hate because, like, they don't, they, they don't understand it, but they don't understand how to control it and do it. So, like, having them understand when something like that is and then be able to, to assess that. And the minute they start understanding and controlling that, now we start progressing them into much more advanced things to, or much more smaller details that make or break. You know, whether they catch ground ball or fly ball or whether they make a throw or whether they get it out quick or whatever it might be. I think for me, it's, you know, baby steps. They're always baby steps. You got to assume they know nothing. And when you think that you've said it enough, say it one more time. Right. How, how, um, how much time do you usually have to like work with these guys? You mentioned you're always kind of like learning new people and, and they're always trying to move pretty quickly. Like how, how usually how long do you have with them to kind of work on these things? Uh, it depends. Um, say like when we get them in, uh, and for spring training, everybody kind of goes in like April ish. Um, it depends organization organization, but we get them in and we start doing little small stuff. We don't do anything over the top. Everything's short. And, um, we, we kind of stay stick to the basics realistically. And that's when we start doing all the little details of you know, showing all the fun, tell them our fundamentals, why they're fundamentals, where your positioning is, where you need to line up on cuts and relays, where you need to line up, you know, on butt plays, where you need to, uh, what, you know, what cut relays even looks like, why is it a cut and relay? Like, you're going into a lot of the small, small details and assuming they've never heard before. You know, the biggest difference between them and a kid at 17, 18, 19 years old in the States he has heard these phrases, these these fundamentals, these the structure so much. Where the Dominican, they're showcase baseball for the minute they get to whatever academy they're at until they go. Very rarely do you have a kid that shows up who has the fundamentals in. And you might have some that have a good foundation, but there still needs to be some work. And so for them, it's more having them understand that as when they show up, we're going to baby step it and we're going to slow them out and we're going to control as much as possible. Because the minute you don't control it, you don't sit there and be like, hey, this is what we're doing and explain it and stay on them about it. That's the minute, it, like say an outfield, when I'm like, hey, say we're throwing at 80%. Don't you go over. I don't care what you do. Don't, don't you go over. And the minute you turn around, guy comes up and lets go as hard as he can. And I'm just like, and he just smiles at me because I look at him like, you know what you just did. Like, and, but building that relationship, being able to say right. something, you know, and they know I'm not going to, they know I'm not going to get mad at it. Just more, hey, look, remember, you save your bullets. Let's get, let's, let's feel right. it now because tomorrow when you walk in and say, hey, my shoulder's bothering me, I'm going to say, hey, well, what happened when I told you to throw 80% yesterday? And then, then they, then they start learning. But, sure. You know, for me, it's, it's baby steps. You know, you, you, we get yeah. time. We don't have a lot of time. We you know it, it's, it grows as you get old, as you continue to go into the year. 
but our time is very very limited because you don't want to you don't want to wear them out. You don't want to put them in a position to where they're overly tired. Now we got a turf field, but so they're on a turf field. It's a hundred degrees. Making sure that they get the quality work in over the over over the quantity, and that's sure. the biggest thing. It's making sure you're not putting them in a position to to be. And you want to you want to create chaos and make them uncomfortable every once in a while, and put them into positions where they have to think for themselves and and ask why they made that decision. And then it's going to happen. They're going to make mistakes. But, you know, maybe on a given day, we might practice for, I don't know, an hour and a half, maybe. You know, and that's just, that's hitting multiple, multiple variances of maybe some conditioning, there's some throw programs, there's some defensive stuff, maybe some fundamental stuff or, you know, whatever it might be, maybe some batting practice. Um, but also we, we, we do little things like, well, you know, just like everybody else does, we'll have talks about bunt defense, we'll have shit, we'll have classroom days, we'll have bunt defense and, you know, talk to them about whatever it might be with whatever tandem relay and show them videos. Cause you know, as people, as like, for me, like if you showed me, I, I, I could do it. Right. Sometimes some of them are like that. And then we show them and then we take them through it. So now we're hitting on multiple, multiple different ways of just having to remember. And it's not going to be perfect. Like we could show them, take them through it for an hour the next day and say, okay, we're doing it again. And the first play, just like they never even heard about it and just the way it is. And, but we, you know, we have, it depends on the day we got to make sure we control cause they still got to work out. You know, they still gotta, they still gotta do English classes and they still gotta, there's stuff they still got to do. Baseball's prior number one, no matter what, always baseball first, but we gotta be realistic in how much information we feed them and, uh, how much keep them on the field. Cause you know, how were, how were we when we were 16, 17, 18, our attention span? Very short. Right. You know? Right. And so. Right. I think that's key. It's it's getting in quality over quantity and, and hammering it down, getting the work in, getting out. It's being efficient all right. the time. How efficient can we be? Um, some days need more long. Some, need, some days need longer than others, but always efficient. Yeah. Are there any ways that you can like quantify success? You know, do you have any like kind of like concrete goals, like as a manager, like for the team um, or like with fundamentals, it, it could be kind of, I think kind of tough to, to maybe have something like that. So what, what are your philosophy for like um, for your, uh, for goals that you have for your team? When I, when I first, you know, get my team, you know, we, we start in June technically our first games, but I, I tell the players, uh, when we first start playing games, you know, in June, I say, in June, we're going to make our mistakes. Get them out. Make your mistakes. Whatever you do, I don't care. It's fine. Like, like you make a mistake, it is what it is. It's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. You're going to tell me it's not, but it is. We're going to play. We're going to play. We're, we're going to make our mistakes in June. July, we're going to play good baseball. August, we're going to play our best. Only way it's going to happen. We're not, and, and I'll do whatever I can to make that happen. And so... For me, as a, as a manager, I talk about, you know, really for me, three things. You know, it, it's make the routine play and play catch. Simple. Make the routine play and play catch. And I say simple, but it's so hard for everybody to do. It's hard for it's hard for big leaguers to do. So how am I expecting a Dominican Summer League guy to do it all the time? Now, do I have an expectation? Yes, but do I'm expecting it? No. It is communicate and just work hard. I keep it very simple. I don't. I don't want to 
over, go over the top. And I'm very big on like with the players time well. Manage your time wisely. That is something we, we hammer down because it could be everything. You'd be on time to stretch. You'd be on time to the baseball field for loan program. You'd be on time to English class. Managing your time and understanding it because when you handle that, the game won't speed up on you. The game, you're going to manage everything. You're, you're going to be able to control what you can control. You can't right. control what the umpire calls. You can't control. Right now, we don't have a clock in the Dominican. So they can take time. But as they go up, they're not going to have that time. Right. And so con controlling your time. So I force them to control time throughout the day. Control time as they go places. Control the time everywhere because I want it to be – I want to force them to play, pitch, and be go around at such a high pace to where when it isn't high, a high pace, it is normal to them. And that is kind of how I attack everything. I tell them, you know, we're, we're controlling our time because we're not playing four, four and a half hour baseball games. We're not. Um, right. It happens in Dominican every day. Probably most teams do it. But I pride myself on we're not playing those type of games. Why? Because we're mm -hmm. playing catch. We're, we're, we're communicating and we're busting it everywhere. No matter what. And we and our yeah, players know absolutely. that. Absolutely. And that's why we average. Yeah. I guarantee you we weren't far over three hours for a game last year for an average. And we, we play a lot of two forties, two thirties. I mean, we, we did a really good job. Our pitching staff and our team did a really good job of getting on and off the field very fast. And nice. it was, it was fun. It was fun for me. It was what, what I thought baseball was. And the players got used to playing at a fast tempo, play fast. And now it made everybody else uncomfortable because we, we got players playing our game and that's all I want. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, for, you know, for, for us as, you know, fans, for people who are, you know, um, really big into like prospects and kind of seeing how these guys develop the, the easiest way for, for us to kind of like look at a player, right. is just, is opening like a fan graphs page and looking mm -hmm. at the stats, you know, like how's this guy doing in the DSL and you have things like, you know, like we give like, uh, we have a, like a WRC plus number that's like weighted yeah. to the league. And there are some things that we could look at, but like so much of those numbers that we see on the internet are losing so much context. So like. Do you think that, or do, is that something that you guys look at, like any like statistical outputs or like, you know, it, when do you know if even a guy is ready? Like how much do you take those, like the actual performance, the, the results into account when like just reviewing how a guy is developing? Uh, when you look at, for me, it's, we don't look at any number specifically. I know we, we always talk about stats and how these guys hit and this guy hit 301 with, this many homers, this many bags, or whatever it might be. But for us, it's, you know, what are they doing on the baseball field? And how are they, how do they look every single day as in an aspect of like, are they in control of their bats? Or are they making every single routine play? You know, are, are they, are they where they're supposed to be all the time? Are they on and off the field? We look at those smaller details because when a guy's doing well, for the most part, like you watch the bats, he's in complete control. You know, he he understands what he's doing. There is zero uh, uh, worry about is he is he gonna speed things up? And yeah, he's gonna make his mistakes. But for us, 
we don't look at a huge number of things. Yeah, we look at the, you know, the WRC and we look at, you know, OBP and we look at, you know, we look at that stuff. It's because it does matter at the end of the day. You know, when you look at somebody's numbers, it does matter realistically. But, you know, it's your 17 year old in baseball for the first time. And maybe his strikeout number is a little high, but he's got, he does have good bat to ball skills. And he, and he does also have some, you know, decent, decent walk numbers. And then you look at where the strikeouts are and you're like, oh, well, a lot of these strikes were, were balls that were called. And then you start seeing into something different of, okay, well, maybe should the, maybe it's the, the zone in the Dominican Summer League that aren't as, uh, aren't as, uh, they're not as, not as good as double A <laughs> realistically. Right. Right. So it's like, you start realizing what they're doing and how they're, how they're going about stuff. So I think for me, we don't, for the Dominican Summer League, it's so hard because you still don't know what you have as a 17, 18-year-old. Um, it's so young. And, and so you're, you're, you're trying to assess and, and predict. And you don't know. He could dominate the, the DSL. He could dominate rookie ball. And then he gets into low A and it's a different world. Um, so it's very hard. Yeah. But we, you know, when it comes to being able to move a guy on, advanced guy you know down in Dominican you can see you can see a pretty drastic difference because typically they've had a second year and that's kind of the biggest thing they've had a second year and they're able to slow things down to control it um but it's very hard to look at something specifically sure yeah so so um whenever I'm doing something like this because I I, like I said I, I look at a lot of DSL numbers and, you know, sometimes you'll run across certain prospects that obviously the batting average is through the roof, usually above 300, massive OBPs. You know, you'll see, you know, decent walk rates as well as strikeout rates. But I think something that gets lost so often, and this is something, Drew, that you really touched on quite a bit, was the the defensive side, right? As fans, we look so much at the numbers, um, so we're saying, okay, this guy is, is hitting the ball very well. He needs to be pulled up, right? Kind of like Ethan Solace just bypassing the DSL and going straight to low A, right? But just like you're saying here, <clears throat> this is a level in which intangibles are being taught, right? We're, we're, they're learning about defensive skills and being able to be a better baseball player all around to be able to move up and go forward. And I think that that's something that we, in a way, whenever you know, uh, Jake and I are doing, you know, writing uh, for fans purposes. This is something that we all need to keep in mind a little bit is that they are developing in, in larger facts than just the, you know, batting statistics and everything along that line. And I think that that's a, you know, a pretty interesting point that you end up bringing up there because that is something that we're so transfixed on that, uh, you know, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, well, it's just the biggest thing is like a player can be so much, so and he, and he is so much more than you know his bat. Yeah, it's crucial. It's it's valuable, realistically. No matter what you think, if you're an offensive player, it's, it's crucial. But you know, how does he run the bases? You know, mm-hmm. how does he is he a base dealer? Does he seem to always go first or third? Is he something like? Does he always seem to be or does he score a lot of runs? How does he score a lot of runs? Because there's a reason why. Right. You know, or from a defensive aspect, it's, you know, you could put him at all three spots and he seems to make, you know, play him at short, 
second and third, and no matter where you put him, he makes plays. Like he just makes the routine play. And people don't, you know, people don't hold that very valuable. But the boring plays are the plays that win you lose the two ball games. It's not the exciting ones because those everybody expects. Like, oh, it's gonna be a close play. If he makes it, great because it's an amazing play. But if he doesn't, you're like, ah, oh, whatever. Like it's a hit. It's fine because it's a tough play. So it's just the routine one that all I that's what I care about. That's what I hammer on. You know, I, I focus so much on it because you should. I want you to get to the point you do it in your sleep. And then same with, you know, outfield play. Like, I'm an outfielder at heart. So, like, I'm strict on how the outfielders play. You know, I'm, I'm very critical of every little detail they make and every move they make. I'm very, very hard on them. But, you know, I tell them all the time, if a ball goes through an infielder's leg, if a ball, if an infielder misses something, it's okay. We're back there. If we miss something, if we make a mistake, it is costly for runs, extra bases, and more. I go, so I hold this at a higher standard than many a lot of people do because me, who's made these mistakes, understands you make these mistakes, it leads to not only a difficult inning, but a basically merry-go-round happening. And that's the last thing you want for your team. The last thing you want for your pitcher, who might have made a great pitch, and a guy flared one in, and a guy makes it ill-advised time to dive, and now it's a lot more than that. And so that's where the little nuance and details of backing up, communicating, and and being able to to understand when to be aggressive, when not to be aggressive, comes into play. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that, that, that insight there. Um, we're going to take a quick ad break. We're going to come back and we're going to touch even a little bit more on the kind of player development side of, of what's happening in the DSL. Uh, we'll be back after this. All right, we're back. We're going to talk a little bit more about player development here with Drew. You know, want a little, little bit more about, um, you know, how the player, um, how we can get a sense of potential, kind of like from these guys, their experiences in the league, um, and just, you know, developing um, or identifying key development factors here that, that'll help us make some more informed, you know, uh, observations, I think, as, as um you know, fantasy players as baseball fans in general. Um, so for you, what um, what's the process like for um, I, I'm interested in these kind of new guys that come in through like they're assigned January 15th. They're like brand new and coming into the league. And like you said, they're they're very raw. So like, you know, what's what's that process like for getting them acclimated um, and how you kind of build those relationships? Uh, for me, it starts just with realistically, like when you're eating, when you're eating lunch or breakfast, just having them sit with you and just, Hey, where are you from? You know, where's your family from? How are they doing? Little details, trying to show that you care because at the end of the day, you know, they, they don't know you, so they don't have to trust you. And the last thing I wanted the player to be put a question what I have to say because I don't care um, and I think the biggest thing for me is I start that process immediately I talk to them and they see how I interact with all the other players and how I walk up and talk to them how see how they're doing you know go back and forth talk about trash with them have a little fun with them because at the end of the day this game's supposed to be fun so what I want them to see is they can be comfortable around me 
and they can also they can communicate whatever it is good or bad you know doesn't matter what it is tell me and that's the biggest thing i want for a player is to be able to communicate say whatever to me not just view me as a manager though i am but not just view me that way and yes i understand there's some uh because i'm a manager there are some things that probably kept the wraps because at the end of the day, that's, I'm choosing if they play or not. And I get that. But there's a, certain, there's a certain level of like also business to it. You can't get too, too close. But I'd build a relationship because at the end of the day, I, I, I want to know the player, first off. I want to know why he is the way he is because it gives me an idea of how I can coach him. Everybody's different. One guy might take me being hard on better than the other. you know, And I need to know that. I need to know how and how to address every player. And you learn that based on, you know, having conversations with them. Whether it's, whether, you know, they understand what I'm saying or not, or whether I understand everything they're saying or not, it's the building the, the, just the trust and communication because at the end of the day, you know, I'm an American coach down there in the Dominican and where they might trust the other Dominican guys a little more because they're from the Dominican they're from a Latin American country and there's a different perspective of how they live and and what they go through and I and I understand that and so you have to be sympathetic and understanding like you're in their country and so there's a certain level of respect there's a certain level of you know you know at the end of the day they want to be respected they want you to show you care and they want you to show that you're there for them and it takes time it's not built overnight and I know that and so for the new guys that come in, I just talk to them. I ask them questions. I tell them to come sit with me, you know, and because at the end of the day, I want them comfortable. I want them to be able to do that and not feel awkward because when you first, the first time meet them, they're very shy. They're very timid. They're like, oh, no, no, like this is the boss. Like, no, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a coach. I'm here for you. I want to see you succeed. The more we can talk, the better, the more we talk. You know, I get to know you. I understand your tendencies. Because when it comes to coaching, I can also help out the other coach. Say, hey, look, I had him. This is what he responded to. And now we're helping each other because he does the same thing to me. Hey, I had him. This is what he responds to. Do this. Perfect. Now I know. So it's a, it's a, it's a fine line between the, I want to get to know them. I want to communicate and build a relationship with them. Um, and under also understanding, like I am a manager, so when decisions have to be made, they have to be made, whether the player agrees with me or not, whether I heard the player's feeling or not, like Rick, did you still hear him there? You, you, cut, out cut out. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's all good. Um, no, no, I, I don't I, know where we were. <laughs> was it when I was talking about the it was, relationships? Uh, yeah, just it's as simple as this. I'm trying to build a relationship. Yeah. yeah. Because I need them as comfortable as possible, as quickly as possible. Because the quicker I build that relationship with them, the easier it is for me to get across our philosophies. And for the J15 group, I think they understand that we have an older group that's there. So I, I allow them to do the teaching. Because if you can, just like if you can have a student that teaches it, it gets across eight the student better, 
but it gets across to the player because he starts giving little details about how to do little things or maybe the schedule. Maybe they look at the schedule. Maybe it's polarizing. And it's because our schedule is in English, not in Spanish. So that now it's reading the schedule and understanding every little thing and where the class is and what to expect. There's a, there's a little process with the J15 group that comes in, um, but they get acclimated pretty fast. They follow around the players that have been there and they get acclimated pretty quickly. It doesn't take them too long, about a week, and they're there. Right. Okay. Uh, you know, so you, so you get to know these guys, like, pretty well. You know, you're really with them throughout the process. We've talked a lot about how you really focus on those fundamentals, and they come in, you know, pretty raw. And, like, as you're going through the season, you're playing better ball, when it comes to promotions, like, is there kind of like a second level, like beyond the fundamentals that you're looking for? Is there anything, any other specific skills you're looking for, like to kind of tell you that these guys are ready? Um, so yeah, what does the kind of like more advanced kind of development look like there? And then uh, at what just, point are they like ready to go uh, off? There's things percentage stuff. Um, you know, how did they, like we had, for example, we had a player last year that in an advantage counts. It was like three-fourths away through the season and advantage counts, he had 0% chase. Like, it's incredible. You know, it's, it's impressive. It's incredible. But, yeah, yeah. and like, I couldn't believe when I heard it. And I was like, well, yeah, that's why he's, that's why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, and, but it's something as small as, I'm not going to say it. Who can't was say that? It just yet. just yeah. curious. Yeah. Can't say it. All right. But, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, that's fair. Y'all will hear about him here soon. Not, he's not one of three guys, but y'all, y'all will hear about him. He's a very impressive player, but he is, like it's something as small as that where we can judge on stuff like that because we can we have the metrics and we have the data that can pick that stuff up and it's not going to be in the scoreboard or it's not going to be in the the static the statistical sheet of like hey this this is what he did but smaller nuances like that you're like there's a reason or like this guy's this guy's taking percentage on balls is there he doesn't swing outside the zone and maybe the average isn't there. And maybe the walks aren't even there. But his swing decisions are great. And we know that. We know the swing decisions. You know, we have the typical hot and cold zone stuff. You know, the breakdowns of every pitcher or hitter or whatever it might be. So we have an idea of what they're doing. So we it's, it's the smaller details that are inside, realistically, the data that are backing up of what we see. To me, the, the, the numbers and the statistics and the analytics, they're... Just they're just a a second set of eyes to what you're seeing. Then maybe you're missing something, and then you're like, oh, "I think I see this." And then you go to the videos and the analytics and data. Okay, I, I am seeing that. Or hey, maybe no, I thought I was seeing this, but this is what it is. We use it the same way when deciding, you know, possibly when we want to move a guy up, possibly when we want to uh, maybe keep a guy there, and, and, and what we decide overall for the player is best for him. And best for organization as well. Right. Um, so with with the with the data, I'm curious. I know there's only so much that you could, that you could touch on, um, but in general, like what type of kind of of guidance, you know, maybe tools do you receive from the Giants organization? I guess like how kind of involved um, are they? Kind of like from the top um, with kind of like your your day to day and, and the development. You know, do you well, use like Hawkeye our, and, our, and things like okay. that? We're our organization is really invested in in making sure we use the analytics and data within reason. There's a certain sticking point where it's just like you're overloading the individual. 
And this is like top to bottom, you know, and, and people, and what people understand is we, our farm director comes down, goes down to Dominican all the time. Our GM goes down to Dominican all the time. You know, like our top to bottom, they're invested in the Dominican. So we have the technology. You look at our field, it's got cameras everywhere. But, you know, we, there's only so much for me as a player that, as a coach, to give that I give to a player. Um, you know, we use a typical Hawkeye stuff. Everybody uses it. You know, um, we do use the, you know, the blast motion or track man or not track man, uh, uh, hit tracks. We have that and use that. And track man's all throughout baseball too. Everybody uses track man. And so we, we use little things like that, but we, for the Dominican summer league player, there's only so much that you can give them before you overload them. And for us, it's easier giving, you know, maybe heat maps to the player, having him understand that first. Or uh, having him understand, you know, maybe this guy that throws a lot of this one pitch. So now you're kind of hitting on maybe tendencies. And, and having it at within reason without having them think too much. Because there's a tendency down there that you give a guy too much information, it just starts spinning. And now all he's thinking about is all these numbers or what you told him. Like, oh, this guy's throwing sliders all away 80% of the time. And then you come up and he throws two fastballs in first pitch, first two pitches. And you're just like, well, he said he's going 80% of sliders. Well, not always. Like, adjust to the game. So we, we always kind of hammer on, you know, a lot of fundamentals, a lot of small details first before we get into the track man or hit tracks or blast motion or anything within that, uh, we make sure that they understand a, what a ball, what a strike is first. <laughs> and then we kind of have an understand of taking off pitches and what that looks like. Of, you know, are you going to attack an off off speed pitch or are you not? And then from the track man, blast motion, hit tracks, all that, like, we use them, but in the Dominican, very, uh, very minimal. We don't, we don't go overboard with it. The coaches look at a lot of it, right. but we don't go a ton over it. There's no need to. As you continue, as they continue to go, they get more comfortable seeing it. Our job is to introduce, introduce little things, little nuggets to them, and then had, and then have them kind of developing it more comfortable with it. As we get more comfortable, we open it up a little more, but we don't go too in depth with. You know, whatever track man or hit tracks or any of that, you know, we don't go too in depth with it. Just I don't see a reason to, you know, I think as they get to that next level, get around technology a little more. Because mm -hmm. this is all, I mean, some people don't realize some might have grown up with no T, no technology, nothing like. So you give them right. something on an iPad and tell them to decipher what's going on. Or what each means, or what the colors mean, like it's a lot. And so you're, we're putting a lot on their plate. People don't realize that the amount of uh, their everyday schedule—it's ridiculous, you know. And then you're telling them to read a computer screen or a, a a piece of paper that shows these numbers, or shows this heat maps, or shows something on there. Overwhelming. So. We try to keep it as simple as possible, as pure as possible. Dominican Summer League might be some of the most pure baseball 
because there isn't a number, a ton of the number stuff. There isn't a ton of the data stuff. Not that we have it. But when it comes to the what we use from a technology standpoint with the players, minimal. Very minimal. Anything you anything any organization can get. Right. No, every organization gets okay. the same type stuff. But when it comes to everybody has, you know, the typical hit tracks and track man and and a hawkeye and all that. We everybody has all that stuff. It's just how every each organization use, utilizes every little detail in it and what they value more than others. Um, where us, it's we try to baby step it in there. We can't give them too much information. You would send them down a rabbit hole, and sure, it'd be a long time to come back. So we, we try to avoid that because <laughs> some some get it, <laughs> right? Because some uh, get it, Rick, and they get too deep. Yeah, right. And yeah. Cause it's, 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 it's definitely, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like its yeah. own kind of little language, like just data, you know? And, and so, and once you kind of like, especially I think as a player, when you're realizing kind of like, you know, this is, this can help me, this can make me better. Maybe this is like the key, this, this quantifies something that I have been you mm-hmm. know curious about. It's definitely can get into that. Um, Rick, you mentioned before the episode, you were interested in um, like pitching development a little bit specifically with that. Did you have something that you wanted to bring up there? Yeah. So, um, Obviously, looking mm-hmm. once again, we look at primarily numbers from our standpoint of it. So, oh, uh, I'll text him. All right. Oh, there he is. Yep, there we there go. Oh, no, no you're that's okay. all good. Jake, you can let me know when you want me to start. Yeah, just making a note. All right, cool. Go ahead with the with the question again. Yeah, so Drew, so obviously we look at primarily numbers from our standpoint. And uh, one of the major things that you know I end up seeing on my end is I apologize. My, my definitely of, my Wi Fi. It goes uh, in numbers and out. that are usually more favorable to hitters. Uh, so Whenever it comes to the Dominican Summer League and pitching development uh, down there, how is your approach as a manager uh, trying to get these guys ready? What is it that you see? Because sometimes we'll see inflated ERAs, you know, more innings pitched than strikeouts. We'll look at a lot of that stuff. Every once in a while, we'll see one or two that just kind of blip off the radar, but they're usually pulled up shortly after that. What do you see from your standpoint as a manager with eyes on the field? For them, a lot of these arms, they are extremely powerful arms that aren't sure what their body's doing. And so you see some of their mechanics and you're just like, how do you throw 97? Like, how does that match up? You know, or or the bodies that do it. And you're like, this kid's 120 pounds and yet he's figuring out a way to generate this much force. Like, how? You know? So when it comes to down there, you know, I use like, they talk about, you know, Duvall all the time down in the Dominican Summer League, 100 miles an hour. 
no clue where it's going. Like, not even close. But, like, look at him now. You know? He's in the big leagues, you know, 99-100, closing games. But, like, in the summer league, you see that all the time. And realistically, from a standpoint, it's a little, I say it's a little, it's a little pitcher heavy, as in like it's a little pitcher friendly within reason. Because you'll have, you know, most teams will have their top, I don't know, they're, you'll have eight or nine guys, possibly, that come out, pound the zone, those strikes. And then they'll have eight or nine guys who are developing who had a lot of talent, but figuring it out. And they might go yeah. in there and they go three innings or two innings and no deal. Or they might throw point two innings with seven walks, two hits, and a hit by pitch. And not make out the first. You know, it is a fine line between, you know, it is a pitcher friendly or hitter friendly. It just depends on the park you're at and you know, so do some organizations have older players, you know, in their in their right. pitching staffs for a reason. They had the, the uh, development team and then the win team, you know, for, where we split it up in the middle. And we have two teams that are just, we, we expect them both to win. But from an aspect of like, we want, we want even, even teams, you know, there's no point in the, you know, the development of win team, like what's the point? We want two even teams. So when it comes to like pitching, we're evenly split, and we go through those. But when it comes to, you know, for the pitching aspect, it's more, it's not as much pitcher-friendly. Wow. It's not as much hitter-friendly as it is. For me, it's a little more pitcher-friendly due to maybe the umpires <laughs> not having as tight of a zone. You might catch an, you might catch an umpire who shortened up a little bit of the zone, but you'll see, like, we played one game last year against our own team, and there was, like, 24 walks in the game you know it was ridiculous like a four hour 30 minute game four hour 40 minute game ridiculous like drove me up a wall because i hate playing long games first off and but like the umpire had a tighter zone so the hitters were being picky and pitchers were getting hit because they were falling behind accounts like that stuff happens and, and so but like everyone is age different than what their, what their philosophy might be and how they attack you know and i think from a on the field's perspective, I think, uh, you know, it's, it varies realistically from, to me, from organization to organization, you know, it depends on what the scouts get. You might have a kid that's a hundred miles an hour, but have no, idea, which we've seen a lot. The Cardinal guy do a hundred miles an hour. No clue was going. Didn't even, yeah. didn't even get an out. Extremely talented kid. You could tell it's in there, but it's just the way it is down there. You might have these, extremely well-developed kids who how don't understand like develop, how to um, you know, like, or maybe choose starters B. versus relievers. Is and it usually like, way more difficult you know, said people who can throw more done. strikes who you try and to build them up as we, starters? We, we like, lose how track do you kind of how take you someone, not strike, I, like, I guess, make that well, decision, you know, or like, went through as a reliever throwing 100 and he was always kind of destined for that kind of back-end role. Or there's some guys you come through and you're like, oh, he has a starter's arsenal. Is so, going to go through. We're going to develop them like this. Like, how do you kind of see that play out?
Uh, that's not so much really on my end. I don't really decide that aspect. Um, I'll give input to it a little bit, but that's not my aspect. It might be something where, you know, he's supposed to be a starter, but, you know, we have to piggyback him with somebody because we, we have, you know, we play five, we play five games in a week and maybe six, maybe. And that's, if we have like a rain, a rain out game. If we make up on a Wednesday, but play five games, we have seven starters on our team. Obviously, not everybody's going to start. So, we have to piggyback guys. Um, and sometimes that might be us bringing them in as a, in, a, in a relieving type spot. They might come in with two outs in the, 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 the fourth. You know? And, and so, now we're teaching them to be a reliever as well as building them up for innings. Because throughout the year, as you know, things right. happen. Players have uh, player player ups or things go on that hey, they might need a day. So we have somebody that can bump into that spot and we have players built up. Um, but for the aspect of like, who's going to be what, you know, you, you got to be careful with A, with players are pretty, every organization kind of limits uh, how much, how many innings they can throw and how much they can throw. They control that aspect. Um, and if you have a guy out there who's a kind of a prospect, like he's got to get his innings in, he's got to throw. Whether they like it or not, it's development. You know, as much as it's going to kill you watching him walk people, and it might be four hitters before you officially say, okay, you're done. And he might have walked all four. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's development. You know, you want to win, but with development comes winning. And if you're not yeah, willing yeah, to yeah. stick through Absolutely. that, um, good and we wanted bat, to talk about about a few specific you know, players it's, it's that we heard that player, we noticed kind of come up uh, in the draft organization that, that's played for you. And, and um, so, so we just uh, want to know a little bit about players, like how right? these few so guys are, like sure how they're developing from your perspective as a manager. First one we want to talk about is one of the best players I think in the DSL in general. Rainer Arias keeps kind of like how have you seen him kind of come up from being that that J15 kid all the way till now where he's like really on the cusp. Rainers, well, there's a reason Rainers ranked top Dominican Summer League baseball player last year. There's a reason. And when we saw him come up, like, he was so much more advanced in, like, what he was doing and how he was going about his everyday work than what realistically a lot of players were on either team. Um, his ability to retain information after the first time you tell him it is is very impressive. His dad's a I'm pretty sure that a scout in the Diamondbacks organization, so he's got a baseball background. And but he is extremely smart, really good kid. Doesn't miss pitches. I've seen him at Homer of us. Like doesn't miss pitches very much. You're not going to get a fastball. You're not going to get a fast pitch by him. Not twice. Once maybe. Not twice. Um, and his ability. It was surprised me when it was his ability to play the outfield. You know, and how he played the outfield. Very, very uh, calm and in control. Very smooth. Um, and we had a lot of conversations out there, just like how he goes about it. And, you know, he kept asking me, do I need to change anything? What do I want to change? And I just told him, like, no, I like what you're doing. Like, there's no point. 
because how he moved, how he got thrown ball, it was so effortless. So to me, it's like, why would I change something like that? You know? And I think they're looking for that validation. Like he was looking for validation, but I was like, Rainer, man, you're all right. Like you're in a good spot. I'm not going to touch you. It didn't matter if you put him in left, right, center, all the same. Very, very talented player. A lot faster uh, than people realize. He can run pretty well. I don't think people see that. He's yeah. a tall, lanky, six foot, six one body aspect. Is that something? Um, um, do you want guys to be a lot aggressive? Of room to grow do you usually like, very aggressive on the base pass? Do you want guys extremely to steal? talented player? Um, do you t- there's like, a reason that he was ranked when he was ranked. Like the, His numbers the were very, in there. Like, very is that a focus legit. for you all, or is it just kind of like um, you know the faster guys will run and it is what it is? He's, you know, he's, he was by far the best player. I thought he was by far the best player in the Dominican Summer League last year. By by far. No, not necessarily. We we want to be aggressive. I'm me as a coach. I am very aggressive, and, and people know that. I, I like to push the envelope a little bit. I tell them there are a lot of things that got to go right for you to be out. So let's put pressure on them. And for me, when you're getting off speed pitches, let's go. It's gonna force them to fastballs. It's gonna force them to give you pitches you want. You actually want. So, and if they keep throwing them, we're going to keep stealing them. Um, we've had a, we've had a right. high number of stolen sure. bases in back-to-back years for our team. Um, we've been consistent with it. But, you know, there's a reason we do it. You know, it's choosing the right times of when you want to run and why you want to run. It's not just run to run. Um, it's choosing the right times, the right moments, and staying with me because I, I, give a, I give freedom to the players, but they have to earn it first. And so I let them know. I right. give them a green light when um, I say, hey, and then another, another player we wanted to know a little bit more about. But uh, when I think when Moises I feel confident and I feel give a little bit good more. with what they're doing, um, I'll give know, the a green light guys and let them run aren't, their aren't own. Quite the the types, and say, hey, you these guys light. definitely have some potential. So I want to hear more about from me, the, you from just find a good time to go. And so it's just building trust. Once I trust them, I let them go because as they go up, they have to learn to do it themselves anyway. So. Moises says, Daylight, I love Daylight. He is the, he's the happiest kid. Like, he is always so happy. He comes in with a big smile. And what people don't realize is he is very physical. Like, he looks like a middle linebacker. Um, He is the prime example of a Dominican Summer League player in development. Because last year, he struck out, the first year, he struck out a lot. Tough year, tough year. Struggled defensively, struggled all around, and got better, and better. This year, we start to see a little bit of the numbers come up, the uh, the home run numbers. He's been strong. There's always that's always been there, but his development from year one to year two was extremely impressive. Um, a very gifted, talented athlete can move super well. Got a cannon for an arm. Uh, super strong has started to understand his approach and how he attacks uh, pitch to pitch and bat to bat. It started to ask wow. questions. 
which is huge. Um, and, and, you know, for us, his biggest thing is, you know, for me at least is, you know, continuing to hammer All on right. D defense, you know, getting better and he's getting better <laughs> every day. And, and he's a player that people kind of, he hit sure, behind, yeah. I think behind or in front of Arius last year, which was incredible. Cause they had they, like those two back to back were, it was cause you see Arius walk up and there's a presence there's a feel. And then you see Dayla walk up and you're like, there's, there's, don't fall asleep. The issue is, is people, people would pitch around Arius to get to Dela, and then Dela would hammer it. And so, Dela was, yeah. I, I was so proud of him last year and what he accomplished and, and how well he did. You know, he grew drastically. And our hitting coach, uh, Michael Blatchford and uh, Robert Riggins, they did such a good job with him last year and in, in controlling him because he was a prime example of a player coming in. And having See, zero idea oh. to con- how to control himself, he had all these tools, and they were that's, electric tools, and just no clue in how to control himself. And he made mistakes, like very tough mistakes, but he grew from them. He learned from them. He got better, and he had a phenomenal year. Well, so he was one of the players where he just—it was night and day, different from year one to year oh, two. Oh, that's awesome! What, grew, was so, what was so cool about him? It's, and I, it's I great. Loved and, 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 he, and he takes the game seriously, especially with he what you were saying with his year one numbers in the DSL. He's in the gym early. And now this this he last all his mobility uh, season there, like he I just thought it was amazing. Kid. Number one, and the it's, play it's, I, I'm excited to see I mean, what he does this year. 14.2% walk rate, and his English is getting really good. Fantastic! So which is even better. So being able to draw the walks. Huge. You could see that with his OBP numbers at uh, 410 this past year. Uh, the year prior, 438. So this is a guy that could really, you know, control control that strike zone to a point where he could know how to draw a walk, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, even what was so what was so great to me also mm-hmm. was the strikeout rate too. When sometimes we'll see some very elevated strikeout rates in the DSL. You know, a 20.8% strikeout rate from, you know, an 18-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, developing prospect like this, extremely solid. And, and you know, hats off to Rainer Arias, mm-hmm. absolutely. De La Rosa has got some, you know, major uh, upside here. And I, I love looking at those numbers. Mm-hmm. Even he really did, and I think people don't realize is when you look at like <laughs> Arias got hurt and missed some of the year, so the focus became on him, and so he got pitched very difficult, and people don't realize you know how he got pitched. Us included, we pitched him very difficult, and and, and so and he and the crazy part is we pitched him difficult. The last time we played, we pitched him difficult. He had two homers on us, <laughs> like and two just absolute taboo shots. And so, like, <laughs> it was impressive. The one, the one homer he hit, you know, the two seam on the hand. I still remember, like, I wanted it. The two seam on the hand, and he hit it down. He hit an absolute moonshot down the line. And I remember looking at it, coach, just like, I can't believe he hit that pitch. Like, cause I, she, you know, and this guy's got this guy we threw had a good two seam. So like, I'm gonna bum it out. I want to go. Like, we need to go on his hands. And he got there. We were like, oh no, <laughs> like this is impressive. 
punch. People don't realize like once once Arius got went down and missing time, like it became even harder for him. So to see his numbers stay that way after he, you know, because he went to that that first little cycle where he kind of started struggling a little bit because everybody hammering him in or did whatever they did, do a lot of sliders, whatever it might be. Um, because I, I didn't get to see a lot of his at bats. I just knew he was trying. I knew he kind of struggled a little bit. But right. then, you know, right. him and the, him uh, and one more that we wanted to know about, about uh, another player for you was uh, Luis he stuck to his uh, Frias. Took off towards the end of the year again, and he deserves, he deserves, you know, opportunities. Yeah. Like, he's a very good baseball player. And I'm excited to see what happens. And, you know, the hard part for the, now is, team, you know, roster cutting down a higher. So, just is what it is. Frias for, for on my team. He was my leadoff hitter all year. Um, yeah, so you're right, right on it with the average. He's a, 301, 18 steals. And very, three very, very fast player. Uh, yep. With a cannon and knows it. Um, and But his biggest stride forward Not, last year. Yeah, he played 41 um, I think games. He like 301. So, yeah, he, he probably missed like one like or two 10, homers. Games. And, uh, like 20 plus bags. I don't remember how much, but mm. he, he got hurt. He, he, yeah, that's about, that's about right. Yeah. We got hurt. He missed the last two weeks, something like that. He broke his thumb. Yeah, right. he broke it. Yeah, he ended up, he stole third and then broke his thumb. Uh, so he missed some time. Uh, but, you know, crazy part is he played through it and i think he played through a little bit and then it just kept bothering him we were like no nah, you're done like come out like he just kept holding it i was like man what's up and he's like it's bothering me i was like okay you're done um and, but he's a extremely talented player he got a very he's defensively he's phenomenal he is everything you want in a center fielder he covers every bit of ground and, and then some he's got a very good arm um me and him had a ton of conversations of just throwing approach and when to throw bases, when not to, because the hardest thing is when you got an arm like that, you want to show okay. it off. And the hardest thing to do is checking your ego and just flipping it in second base, keeping double play there. So me and him had a lot of talks of just understanding the times to throw, times not to throw. And I built a great relationship with him. The biggest thing for him is, is uh, hit 301 because he was willing to bunt. People aren't willing to bunt in a minute, and you will see nobody really wanting to bunt. He bunted and bunted a lot. Um, <laughs> and I think that's the reason why he hit 301. That's the reason. And I think the, and the crazy part is the last, like, he, he had a moment where he struggled. Yeah. And it was because he wasn't bunting, and he got back to it. And I think that's when he started to take off again. He's a, I hope he gets opportunities. Um, he does need to get stronger in the weight room, but he knows. I wear him out about it. I make him eat sandwiches in the dugout. I make him eat sandwiches for practices. He's he's he is as every bit of a hundred and what forty pounds they put him at. And but you know he's a great kid. Works extremely hard in the weight room. He is very strong. That's the issue. He's extremely strong. He just can't seem to you know put on weight. He tries super hard, but it's again, it, it's his background and. Him not really ever eating a ton, mm. and then us, you know, wanting him to eat a lot. It's it's hard for a nineteen year old who has a high metabolism, who's a quick twitch, fast player, who has to steal bases and 
there's a it's hard and so i think he's i think he's got a lot of life still left in him and uh, of of development and there's still there's still some development his bat came around last year um i just think he needs to understand you know he needs to stay on the ground he, he sees some he saw some power numbers come in and he got a lot big as, as a guy who hits homers you know for the first time he got a little big but yeah. He's a really talented so see, player. This, He's this, an awesome kid. This Guys is one of the major things in the that I think it's so lost. Is, players love being around you know, him. Whenever we're looking at the numbers and everything, it looks like to me because he has that, he'll, he'll, that he'll drive to be able to get better. And, and so, you know, Jay, to what you were saying, it it easy, you know, a 301 hitter, 390 OBP, he's, he's four sixty slug, slug, which is even three home runs this year, and you can tell that you batted him at the top. You know, the order here because 38 runs scored. In 41 games played, I mean, he was he was scoring almost every game, mm -hmm. pretty much is what it seems like. So you see, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I let him off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I had a I had a lefty right behind him too, and mm -hmm. I, and then so he was so I I wanted to cover him as much as possible because the lefty hit fastballs well, so I was like okay we well, get a lot of breaking ball like he'll steal, and he did and he was one of the guys he was one of the only guys on my team that had like a true green light like whenever you want to run run, and he didn't yeah. run to run that, which and that beautiful. makes that makes all he the would sense, choose man. smart time and, and, and honestly. He would go because when you once again fast, looking at these numbers you here, you know, fifteen so doubles. Learned how to still last the correct way. So of his and not just forty-nine to total off. hits, fifteen of which He's were doubles. One was a triple and game three home runs. Speed. So our goal is uh, showing him what how to do how to bunch, be effective while doing you know, it on the bases, hitting doubles, using his speed to make things happen, wow. setting the table for those that are behind it. This is a a great profile. And especially with the high mm -hmm. defensive chops that he yeah. has, from what you're saying, uh, this is this is a very intriguing player, long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I like what he what he's able to do. He would and he retains information very 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 well. I think he does a good job of just asking asking yeah little, absolutely little questions. That's awesome. uh, uh, it's really cool to get a kind of extra insight on some of these guys, you know, because um, the experience that you have with them is, is awesome. But and um, he commands you know, out is there well. another player that, 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 that you kind of think of pitch. as like a specific success um, story? And that's the best. You know, it makes my job and then was promoted that you were like really happy. I just ask why he makes certain moves and he does it, and I let him go. Uh, I think uh, a player that's you know taking off right now. I think a really talented player, a kid named Dario Reynoso. He was on our team last year. 
played all three positions, short second and third, really well. Did a really good job of just how he attacked everything and the bats were really phenomenal. He, he's a very strong kid, not a high sign guy. Um, I think he has a chance to move. I, Willie, I don't know, but there's a good chance to move. Uh, or And John Carlosio, who was in Arizona this past year, he came to Dominican last year, had an okay year, um, came to our spring training this year really well, physically lifted, got strong, defensively was already really good. But got really good at the plate, controlling the zone, controlling what he was doing at the plate, and then took off. And he went to Arizona this year, had a really good year, played well. Again, same thing. And controlled the zone. There's a certain presence when he walks up to the plate, a certain feel. Um, he's a extremely talented, really, really good player. Um and Man, he awesome. moved up last year. I, I got to, to tell him he's moving it. up. It was um, awesome. So we're going to, again, take a quick break. It was the coolest thing then, to see his uh, face. Back. We're going to talk a little you're bit saying, about hey, the Arizona Fall League. You're going to Arizona. And just to see their face right when you used to say it. I mean, it's for some of life changing. How's they time think they could We're a little bit beyond, and but uh, I want to ask a few questions about AFL, but okay. anything else. just want to make sure. And just through them knowing they got an opportunity to move on. You're okay. No, it's all good, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. All right. All right. All right. We're back, and and we really wanted to. Um, um, no, we're while good. That we have Drew here, kind of take the opportunity to talk a little bit about the Arizona Fall no, we're League. Good. My dog's barking um, in the background. You know, so I'm just trying another, to make sure. Um, that, you, you know, know the showcase that happens stateside. These guys are really, usually really close the to the Pyrenees, majors. So he it's really highly talked about, and you know, so prospecting dynasty circles. Um, you know, they're really kind of at the cusp they're working on some things and and they're have the ability to kind of break into the spotlight for the first time and uh you know rick rick has had the opportunity to kind of be there and see it i have yet to actually go out there really are trying to hope that to do that this year but you know just want to know like how is it you know like to be directly involved with with this league so um so overall like how was your experience in in the afl being able to coach the uh, the scottsdale scorpions I actually loved it. I had a blast. It was something that I wanted to do. Um, I wanted an opportunity, um, but it was so much fun. Just a doing the same thing, building relationships, same talking to to high level players who have been around the game, and just asking them little questions. What do they think? Why do they think it? Um, and then you know, getting to work with other coaches and uh, philosophies and other. Uh, tendencies of why they yeah, do certain like, things is that kind of yeah, one of the, continue, the, the biggest thing that changes when you go there like as like a coach you're in the DSL you're the manager you're kind of like the, 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 you the one who's directing director, all this development and then you get to go to the AFL you get to kind of sit back and like soak it all and in what do you usually take from those from those experiences abundance of information that comes in all the time and so for me I just sat there and I didn't really say much I just listened For me, it was 
I enjoyed it because like I had my ma- the manager there, Martin Lloyd, he was so open and he was so free of like, hey, take it, do whatever you want. And so for us and our coaching staff, we ran it however we wanted to. You know, BP ran it however we wanted to, and the cages ran it however in and out. And, you know, early work, we did whatever we needed to do. And so being able to just talk to them, listen to them, you take that information and, and you, you're able to use it for your own players, you know, and, and little, and, you know, a lot of things we agree on. But it's small little things like Martin Beloy played big leagues been coaching forever in minor league baseball as a manager. You know, you got Sean Cathmar, who had a couple stints in the big leagues, but played for like 15 years. Everybody knows Sean Cathmar. So much knowledge. Just like, and he would give little, like little things. Every once in a while, they're like, that's gold. That's great. You know, or, or, or Darwin Young, you know, got playing the big leagues. And, and just the little details that they kind of focus on and look at. And everybody's different in their coaching approach and style. Where Dale one, Dale one's a little more like laid back, goosey goosey, have fun. Casmar is a little more quiet. Marty's, you know, the manager's a lot, he's, you know, more outgoing, a lot louder. But yeah. they all yeah, have absolutely. their reasons of why they say things, why, they're, why they believe in it. And for me, my biggest goal and it was, you know, while I'm there, I'm going to learn, I'm going sure. to listen. And, and did you, you know, uh, what was I like some of those um, kind of help? like things that you were I'll able to bring that. the back? But like, is there me, anything like, you're kind of that, like really stuck in your I head that you're going to like possible. have in mind going into not like not spring goal. training and take whatnot? Those, take in as much um, information you know, that you were able to take from the and, and be able to say, that I like this and I don't like this, sir. I believe in this and I don't know why he believes in this, but I'm going to find out why. So. Uh, I mean, for me, it was more just like little details and, you know, maybe how they run cut and relay and, and taking our, not just like really going away from what we like to do, but like more like how I line up in filters and why I line them up like that. And then, uh, also from a, a aspect of, um, you know, running bases and, and how aggressive certain organizations were and how aggressive certain organizations weren't. And why, and you know, being able to work with them, and I, I coach third base most of the year, so you know, I'm there with them constantly running the offense, and you know, Marty, the biggest thing Marty let me do is coach third base, and he didn't, he let me call anything I wanted when I wanted to bunt, he let me call a bunt, he let me treat it like I was managing, and so that was so useful and helpful to me because it allowed me to. A, see the game at a higher level, but B, you know, it's a faster game. Guys don't make mistakes there, you know, and, and but in the, the day, it's, it's a simple thing of playing catch, and it's crazy how much guys don't do that there either. And so, Marty let me run it, and I grew a lot as a coach from that aspect of communicating with these players, and then learning the players and trying to get on the same page with them. You know, I think for me, nothing I. I take back and necessarily going to stick out as like extremely important. But for me, it's more like how I want to teach the base running. Um, I, and then how I want to go about, you know, maybe some infield, outfield, <laughs> cut and relay type things. But aside from that, there's nothing really huge outstanding uh, that stood out to me. That's like, I need to, I need this information. 
it's more of things that come up and little details that, sure. that hey you should do this or hey this might be a good idea to try this um aside from that i know it, i know it's not really the most exciting answer but <laughs> it's it's there's some things where i just i i, I looked at it and saw it and was like yeah um I get it, but I don't really believe in that. And sure. Or like, hey, yeah, our organization to believe in that. So um, were there it, any like, like were there any players that stood out to you well, when so, you were when you were at the AFL you know, that like, really that impressed you? Well. I have to I have to straddle as well. But <laughs> you know, the good thing with the organization, they're very free and open about ideas and us yeah. bringing in new ideas mm-hmm. or why you know, if we have a we do something, why do you do it? You got a reason? Okay. And that's it. There were a lot of players that really impressed me. A lot. Um, one guy that was extremely impressive, I've talked about before, was uh, Victor Scott. Um, and me being a base stealing guy, um, talking to him about base stealing and going about little things. I was when I first started, I was in the I was on the first base side, so I was in, I was in his ear all the time. And so me and him were going back and forth like every pitch because he's looking to yeah, run every pitch. Kevin. So we, you know, I got to know him really well because we we're going back and forth every pitch. And and I'm helping him find little details and nuances on the picture to focus on so he can feel bad. Um, and we built a close relationship that way. And then I moved to third. And then we kind of kept that relationship and we would talk. And he was extremely impressive. Um, um, Alcantara from the Cubs. Oh, yeah. Just a, 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 yeah, a specimen of a talent. Like, it's impressive. Very, very impressive type player. Um, yeah. He was... There's power, he's fast, he's got an arm, he's, he has an approach, understanding what he's trying to do, just extremely impressive. Uh, Colston Montgomery, you know, huge, big kid. I mean, you know, I didn't realize how big he was. Big kid, extremely talented. Um, a kid on our team that kind of showed out Oliver Dunn, you know. Right. He's one of the guys, like, we look at Colston or Alcantara or, or – or uh, mm-hmm. Scott, like they all have these ex- astounding tools that they bring to the table, you know, whether it's a hit number, what Oliver Dunn does nothing that's like pretty. I don't I say pretty, but nothing that's like ex- overly exciting. He just gets the job done. And he does it very yeah. well. Yeah. And yeah. there's a reason, uh, there's a reason he got, I'm pretty sure, rule five by the Brewers. There's a reason, like he's an extremely talented player. Um, Great, uh, great individual. Awesome to be around. Um, yeah. And then yeah. from uh, more of the, the pitching side, <laughs> um, uh, Tideman from the Blue Jays, Ricky Tideman. Tideman, Tideman. Yeah. yeah. I- impressive arm. Uh, impressive stuff. Very impressive. Oh, there's, there's a Rangers guy. Uh, closer, Odio. <laughs> Odio. Odio. Uh, oh, I don't yeah. know, he's like 102. Yeah. Such an amazing guy. Yeah. I got 102. It's funny thing. is like, he was 102, but like, he didn't really show much for a slider. And then one, we faced him one day. And um, he was like, oh, are you, 102, um, 102 sliders. 102, 102 slider. And our players were like, what Marcy, do? Oh my gosh. I mean, but uh, that league fantastic. is filled. Ryan Bliss, phenomenally talented. Extremely, there's a reason you're one defensive player that you're like, <laughs> stupid, stupid talented. I know. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, the Padres kid, the Wakem won MVP. Um, he, J, uh, JC Marcy, Jake Marcy. 
impressive. He just phenomenal year, phenomenal year. And, the, and you know, and then we even even we had a player uh, Carter Hoffman with us with us with the Giants. You know, people don't realize he was a free agent signed. He wasn't even drafted. Free agent signed. Had a really good mm-hmm. year in high A, a low A, high A, yeah. and then killed it in in uh, fall league. And like we, he went from like, oh yeah, I'll play some, and then he started playing every day. Just yeah, kept doing his stuff. But there was so much talent there; it's unbelievable. You know, you got you got it doesn't matter who you you can say like, you know, our third baseman Matt Croon, extremely talented. Robert Hassel, extremely talented. Like, there's so much talent throughout our whole throughout our whole team. And that's just our team. Oh my god! Not even counting game. You know, desert dogs. Not even counting. You know. That home anybody, run, and I got other, a video of it. It was oh my gosh, think, I was like, losing my mind. <laughs> those players, like most of the players, are good, have a chance to either be in yeah, the big uh, leagues tops. or start in the big Ronan leagues. Tops. You know, it's mm-hmm. pretty. It was pretty special to be there, and it was so much fun. We got to. Co- I got to coach the All Star game. That was a blast. Yeah. You know, because then you're around like it was so much fun. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I. And the arm he hit it off was and the Dodgers guy it was like a funky, really? yeah, funky ninety-seven, funky, and it was just, you just missed. And that's what happens. You just, you just miss over the plate. That's exactly what happens. Wild. It was <laughs> such a great that's experience. Awesome. Uh, that's I, awesome. I loved every moment. You know. All right, y'all are giving me fun now. I, I really need guy. to get out still to talk the NFL. to him <laughs> to stay. You know, come, come still talk to him. Yeah, more. right, right. Um, you know, oh, that's awesome. How you been? That's awesome. How's everything going? Um, Sweet. Rick, did you have hey, anything you know, else still, that uh, that you I, again, wanted to touch on keep here? Keep relationships, blood relationships. No, I think that we really our coaching staff still talks. We really just text him. So appreciative the, uh, of your time. Earlier today, coaching staff still talks all the time. <laughs> oh, it's worth it. It's worth it. It was so much fun. Yeah. No, no. I thank y'all for having me. It was an absolute blast. I love talking it, especially talking Dominican. Not many people like to talk about it or want to talk about it, but it's something where I think sooner or later people are gonna get a lot more information about what's going on mm-hmm. down there, and they're gonna realize that they're a decade late. You know, they're way too late, and yeah. they should have been looking a long time ago. And they, you know. You can just see what our facilities look like and what our complexes look like. And that's just like, if you go online on Twitter or whatever, put in, you know, Milwaukee Brewers and scroll down or put in Dominican Dominican complex in your Twitter, it'll probably pop up. So there's a probably pop up because it just opened. It just opened. But it's top notch. Like, they're, you know, same with ours, top notch. And we just keep adding. We keep adding. You yeah. got to keep up. It's like college. To me, it's like, Dominican Summer League is like college in a way mm-hmm. of the players will sign with what they like the most. Not necessarily always the money, right? but more like what they, the facility they like the most or what their favorite team is. You know, they do that too. If a kid, like a kid grew up a Memphis fan and Memphis recruits him, he's going to Memphis. You know, if yeah. a kid grows up a Padres fan or a Giants fan, He's going to the Giants or he's going to the Padres. They don't care about anybody else. So, like, they do the same thing just because yep. they're from the Dominican. 
they choose the same way. So yeah, people are absolutely, upgrading man. Facilities. That's awesome. Well, um, again, thank you so much. Putting for in so much, been so much million, fun. not just like um, you could find uh, Drew on Twitter. He is uh, always looking dollars through, dollars always retweeting some like to build DSL the best stuff. Facility. He has some footage there. Because it's again, really cool. So you can follow him on Twitter at Drew Martinez underscore eight. Find Rick at Must Be the Hawk. Uh, and of course, you can find the podcast at PL on the farm. Thank you all so much for, for tuning in. Make sure to check us out next week. We will be bringing on um, Alex Coyle, who's a broadcaster for the AAA Memphis Redbirds. Uh, both Drew and I are familiar with Alex. That'll be an awesome conversation. Um, so make sure to tune mm-hmm. in for that as well. Uh, but Drew, again, thank you so much. And uh, to your listeners, thank you for, for tuning in, sticking with us for this uh, for almost two hours now. Uh, it's been awesome. So have a great day, everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you.